You're listening to Fly By Night, a podcast by FedEx Pilots for FedEx Pilots, brought to you by the FedEx Master Executive Council of the Airline Pilots Association. And now, here's your host, MEC Communications Chairman, Captain Chris Lee. My guests today are Captain Pat May, Negotiating Committee Chairman, and Captain Rich Brown, Negotiating Committee Member. Thanks, guys, for coming. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Chris. The Negotiating Committee put out a recent communication about an OIM with Section 24 and a settlement agreement. What is an OIM, and why do we have this in our CBA? Good question, Chris. The OIM stands for Ongoing Implementation Measure. There are specific sections in the contract where that language was negotiated to really allow some flexibility when it comes to the administration or facilitation of the language, really to create an avenue if there's unforeseen issues that arise. So in particular, the FDA LOA, for example, has this OIM procedure. Section 24 was a complete rewrite in the 2015 agreement. And with that new language, there was obviously concern about incomplete or sections that may not have been fully thought through during the negotiation process. So to allow a process for both parties, both the ALPA Negotiating Committee and the company's negotiating committee, labor relations, to meet and deal with those issues, the OIM process is put in place. In general, Ridge, what can you tell us about the OIM process? It's a process that both sides have to come into willingly, for one thing. There's not a lot of leverage that either side has. Anybody can walk away at any time. So it's basically a format where we can engage the company to solve problems that both sides agree exist within the existing contract. And this process, will this help us as we move towards Section 6? Definitely, Chris. It allows us a format to clean up a lot of the language and allow uh, us to not have to deal with those problems again when we get into Section 6 negotiations. What are some of the highlights of this particular OIM? We've sent out a communication that kind of runs through the summary. Uh, There is the full document that's attached to the communication that we sent out. But broadly speaking, Chris, the overview is it affects all pilots that are going to have any implication inside Section 24. So any pilot that's ever going to bid is going to be impacted by this. Uh, There are specific FDA provisions for more flexibility there. There's some flight time issues that we had to address, as well as instructors and flight test and or Section 11 pilots and Section 9 pilots. In the areas where the Section 24 OIM applies to everybody, in particular the two-month-in-advance training bid, what are some considerations there? Well, when we negotiated this in the last contract, people wanted a little bit more control over when they go to training. But since we've implemented Section 24, we found that that one-month lead time isn't enough for a lot of guys to get themselves ready to to go into training. So what we tried to do here is expand that amount of time. And we started with more than two months, but we finally got it down with the company so that under the OIM, instead of your 18 days of lead time before the bid month picking your training, now we have a 46-day lead period, which should allow guys more time to get themselves ready to go to training. Yeah, and the 18 and the 46 is with the first officer close of the monthly bid. So just for an example, what would happen before the OIM, a pilot under new Section 24 in January, they'd be bidding for a March training date. So very little notice, you know, if you're going to be moving from an FDA or moving to a new domicile, maybe. Under the new 24 OIM, now you'll be bidding in January for an April start date. There are some follow-on consequences with that, with displacements. Because there's more time now in between the time that a pilot bids for training and they actually go, 
the company has to deal with leaves of absences, pilots that are returning from either military leave of absence or potentially long-term disability or some type of disability where they're coming back to flying status. So the company had to figure out a way to build time or to build training slots in to get the pilots plugged back into training. So we had to enter discussion and agree upon language that dealt with displacing pilots from training. Basically, we tried to limit those displacements and we gave the company an order of things to try and before they actually displace someone. And so basically, the first thing they do, obviously, is if somebody comes back, they'll give them an, an unfilled spot, unfilled training slot. If they don't have that, then they can obviously create one if they have the resources available to do that. But if not, then they have to have a way to get that guy into training since we've forced them out to that two-month time frame. So in that case, they would be allowed to displace a pilot. That not being optimal for our pilots, we would put some fences around that and try to limit the impacts of that on our pilots. And so basically, they would start with any pilot inburst into a training spot. And from there, they would go to the most junior pilot that was awarded a training slot. And then that pilot would be protected once you're displaced once, you would be given the opportunity to talk to the company. They'll give you a list of possible training dates in the future, and you get to select from those training dates, and you basically are awarded whichever one that you pick at that point. So that would be out two months or more from when you actually got displaced, but it would minimize the amount of time that you would be required to wait. Yeah, and there are further displacement restrictions that we put in the language as well, things like limiting FTA pilots from being displaced because there's a substantial move involved there and and termination of leases and contracts. And we didn't want these pilots after submitting those terminations and getting moving processes in place, being able to be displaced, as well as timing limits with displacement. So if you're within 72 hours of the bid month in which the training was to begin, then you can't be displaced. Or if you're leaving an FDA at all, you would also not be able to be displaced since we worked very hard to get that six-month window in there. But once that's established, then that's set for our FDA pilots coming out. And as I said previously, once you're displaced once, you cannot be displaced again. You mentioned inverse training in the displacements. I noticed there's language in this OIM that addresses pilots that have been inversed into training. Can you expand on that? Sure, Chris. We've actually received some pilot input on pilots who have been inversed into training. And... There was a group of pilots, and there's an application that didn't happen with seniority, so there was no choice for the pilots once they got inversed. So let's say, for example, you had four pilots inversed into training in April, and they just essentially, the company assigned those pilots training spots without regard to seniority. So this new 24IM actually provides us a seniority selection. So if you're in a group of three or four pilots with training slot assignments, then based on seniority, you can select your inverse slot. So there's some selection there if you did, it's kind of making the, the best of the worst situation. Okay, so let's talk specifically about FDA pilots. What changed for them? So specifically for the FDA pilots, Chris, the limited time that they have under the new Section 24 provisions to actually access previously bargained language such as early exit provisions made it really challenging for them to do that. So we first had to address how can we get the FDA pilots out of the FDA and still access those early exit provisions. So the biggest change for those pilots is that rather than relying on the system bid and waiting month to month on the training bid, now they can simply volunteer for a specific training slot that's at least six months in advance. And that's regardless of their time commitment. What I'd say about the FDAs, too, is that's a perfect example of the OIM process that we talked about earlier because the language was negotiated to give the FDAs a chance to get out 
using these early exit proposals. But when the implementation came in, we couldn't actually utilize those parts of the contract. So under this OIM process, we were able to actually capture the things that we tried to put into the contract under the FDA LOA and the new Section 24. So explain the differences between a notional and an actual award. So primarily, when we think of notional actual awards, it affects our Section 11 pilots. When a system bid award occurs, all regular line pilots receive an actual award. Now, for FDA pilots, if they haven't met their time commitment, then they receive a notional award because they have to kind of be in this holding pattern until they meet that minimum time commitment. But the bigger impact really is for our Section 11 and our Section 9 pilots that fly those positions. And the the notional award is essentially uh, a placeholder for the seat in which they would like to ultimately go to and or for pay purposes to establish their CHIPA pay, which is their old Passover pay. And then there's further implications as far as follow-on bids when they actually get released from those assignments. In other words, when they resign from being an instructor or Section 11 or 9 pilot, um, when they actually want to move on to the new airplane. On the notional bids, I like to think of it as attached to the training. An actual bid has an actual training spot attached to it, whereas a notional bid does not. That's the biggest difference between the two. Pulling back out to a macro view, I can see where the OIM process and your negotiations, anything you guys discuss has tentacles that approach and reach other sections of the contract. It does, and that's why we have to be so careful when we go in there and we make these changes or amendments. And and it is helpful because it's one less thing that we'll have to do when we get into formal Section 6 negotiations if we can kind of clear the plate. But the tentacles are important because you can see how just a single change, such as the longer window for training, the two-month in advance training bid, can impact pilots and impact the company as compared to the current paradigm. It has impacts and implications for our FDA pilots. It has impact and implication for pilots that are going to be moving domiciles. Our instructors are highly impacted by, say, the notional and the actual bid awards and the the nth position which they go through. There's a lot of tentacles that we have to look at when we get into long OIMs like this. On the flip side of that, the uh, OIM process also allows us to fix some of those tentacles that we didn't see in the last contract. That's a big reason that we need the OIM process to begin with, is those tentacles are not always obvious until someone actually has a problem, and then we can go ahead and go back in and fix it. And along with it, the tentacles, you know, as you're going in there and you're trying to make these improvements, so we made improvements here for the FDA pilots because we've given them specifically more flexibility. In fact, the most flexibility they've ever had to leave an FDA. But the problem is when we do that and we try and create this new avenue for pilots to leave an FDA, it creates a counter issue for the company in that now all of a sudden they're going to have a problem or potentially a problem with manning and staffing in the FDAs. So that creates this counter uh, negotiation and the company wanted to, you know, because we introduced this, FedEx wants to introduce the microsystem bid, which is another piece that we can talk about later, but it's a, it's a way for the company to offset the new flexibility that we just found. No time better than the present. Talk about the microsystem bid. Well, like Pat said, uh, since we are allowing our, our FDA pilots more flexibility, the company was concerned that they wouldn't be able to have enough pilots in the FDA. So their solution was a micro-bid concept, which is basically a bid for no more than five openings in one of the FDAs at a time per seat. 
and it allows the company to fill that without having to fill secondary spots throughout the crew force as they would if it was an actual system bid. So it just allows them a little bit more flexibility to replace those pilots without disrupting the rest of their training system. Yeah, what we've seen over the years in the FDAs is there's a lot of uh, one-off situations that affect and impact pilots' decisions to remain in the FDA. And the company has been helpful in trying to deal with these on one-offs. So we're trying to create a better global solution so that we have less one-offs. But with that amount of flexibility that's now introduced, the company's original system bid may not have accounted for a few pilots raising their hand and wanting to leave earlier than what was predicted through the system bid. So like Rich said, we put limits on the size of the microsystem bid and the fact that secondaries won't be filled unless they're actually backfilling into those crew positions. So I'll just give you an example. So if they have a microsystem bid for three captain positions out of Hong Kong, if three of those positions are filled by Hong Kong first officers, then they will backfill those Hong Kong first officer positions. But if those captain positions are filled by, say, Memphis 767 captains, then those Memphis positions won't be backfilled. Reading through the communication, I've noticed some new terminology. What can you tell me about BPO pilots and TNRA? Well, the BPO pilots, under the contract, there's a lot of different uh, nomenclature and names that we have for different pilots that are working over in the training building or in safety or or in those areas over there. So we tried to kind of combine all of those under one definition, the BPO, bid period override pilots, which allows us to deal with them all as a group rather than having to put something in the contract separately for each group. Yeah, so it it includes Section 9 pilots, which by definition, it's miscellaneous flying, but those are the flight test FPS and TAA pilots or technical aircraft advisors plus all the normal Section 11 pilots that we think of that receive a bid period override, which are your flex instructors, LCAs, SCAs. Another one is TNRA. What is that, and what does that stand for? TNRA is the uh, Training Not Required Activation Process, and that's basically a, a process that allows our pilots that have gone through some kind of administrative training, for instance, a first officer who's a flex instructor who's trained into the left seat. It's a process by which they can actually upgrade to that new seat once they are able to hold that position. Yeah, exactly right. What it is, we're just doing a seniority test basically to plug them in with the rest of the pilots so that there's no super seniority granted because they've been an instructor pilot or have come through the TAA program maybe. So there's going to be a true seniority test. And it depends again on if there's an open training bid or not. No doubt you guys are going to get questions. How do you want pilots to reach out to you and ask questions? Well, Chris, the primary way for us is through the PDR system, and they can get to the PDR system through fdx.alpa.org and select PDR. And then there's a couple options once they get into the PDR system. Normally, probably contract enforcement if it's a current situation. But if they're asking questions about this new OIM or newly bargained language, then it's probably best that they direct those questions over to the negotiating committee. Okay, and the negotiating committee has a category selection on the PDR. It does. Well, thanks, guys, for coming. Any final thoughts? No, I'd just like to say thanks for having us here today, Chris. As we've seen in the past, this OIM process is helpful. It continues to make improvements and provide improvements to the pilots in the administration application of our current contract. While we can't make large changes through the OIM process, we definitely hope it starts to limit the amount of negotiations that would be required with these cleanup items as we move into Section 6 and prepare for Section 6 openers. Well, thanks again. 
And thanks for listening. If you have any questions, topic ideas, please send me an email, fdxpodcast at alpa.org. And as always, be safe out there, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.